Thank you for listening to the Resources for Integrated Care podcast series, Diabetes Care Assessment, Planning, and Management During COVID-19. This podcast was recorded as part of a live event held on May 5th, 2021. In this podcast, Vivian Nacho Ayuk, Chief Executive Officer of Sorogi, shares information on diabetes care and telehealth during the COVID-19 public health emergency. Then, Fontella Young, a consumer at Sorogi, shares her experience with telehealth and diabetes care. Thanks for the opportunity to share our experience providing diabetes care and support during the COVID-19 pandemic. A little bit about um, Sorogi, and we will get into the patient uh, participant demographic. Um, Sorogi is actually a health and wellness company out in Washington, D.C. That's where we're located. And most of the participants that we serve come from Ward 7 and 8. We primarily provide education and support to people who live with diabetes or hypertension or have hypertension. And we also support the providers who care for them by providing them with education opportunities on how to work best with community organizations such as ours. Like I mentioned, majority of the participants that come into our programs are from Ward 7 and 8, and we have eight wards in Washington, D.C. And if you look at the map on your right, you'll see that, you know, Ward 7 and 8 have the highest percentage of residents who have diabetes. Overall in the district, 9% of the population do, but in Ward 7A and also in Ward 5 and 6, you see that we do have double-digit numbers. Majority of the participants in our program do identify as African-Americans, and also Ward 7 and 8, which is where we get a lot of referrals from, have the highest percentage of food deserts. Over three quarters of the total food deserts in DC are located in Ward 7 and 8. And in addition to that, we also have limited education and support programs for people with diabetes. As last count, we did have about 17 total programs in the district, and only four of those programs are located in Ward 8 and seven, majority of them being in Ward 1 and 2. So there is a lot of disparities um, in the district. In terms of age distribution, we have 68% of our participants fall between the age of 35 and 64, less than 6% um, are less than 35 years of age, 26 are over um, 65 years. Gender-wise, 80% of them are female, and we only have about 20% of them as male. Previously mentioned, we have majority of our participants identified as African-Americans, and 24% of our total participant population are dual eligible uh, for Medicare and Medicaid. In terms of programs, we do have the Diabetes Self-Management Education and Support Program, which is our signature program we get the most referral for. That's the one that we get a lot of referrals from primary care providers and also specialty. In addition to that, we also provide the Diabetes Prevention Program, which is a CDC uh, program for people with pre-diabetes uh, who are diagnosed with um, pre-diabetes. And also, in addition to that, we also have the Remote Patient Monitoring, which is a new program that we put in place to be able to have 
participant-generated data from their Bluetooth devices and incorporate that in the care that we provide for them. All right. In terms of diabetes care management model, the the model that we use actually is a more interdisciplinary approach in how we provide care for our participants in our program. We do have a nurse, a dietitian, pharmacist, a peer support facilitator, and a certified lifestyle coach. And we do believe that this is the best approach to providing education and support for people with diabetes out in the community setting. Um, in addition to that, members, depending on where they are and the goals that they are working on, get to pick which member of the care team they can work with to be able to achieve uh, the goals that they are working on. We make sure that we have that shared decision process in place. We talk about all the different self-behaviors, and in particular, we make sure that goals are set together with the participant and they understand um, and are you know, ready to be able to make this change, a lifestyle change that is needed to improve their overall care. But throughout the program, you know, as we teach the group sessions or in person, we make sure that everyone is actually um, speaking to what they are an expert on and the participant gets to benefit from having this interdisciplinary team even out in the community setting. Our team, as uh, mentioned before, is an interdisciplinary team, but in that said, the Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialist takes the lead role in managing the overall care for our participants. Uh, this is the person that would actually make sure that they conduct the initial assessment, make sure that, you know, we have all the required labs. We make sure that we also go and work with the patient hand-in-hand -hand to develop the short- and long-term goals. So this is who actually set up everything that then happens in the program. And in addition to that, we have a registered dietitian, and if the patient's immediate needs are, you know, nutrition, figuring out how food affects their blood sugar, all of that, we do have a registered dietitian that they can have group sessions with or one-on-one, -on -one, and they're able to create personalized meal plans for them. Our registered dietitian is also able to provide medical nutrition therapy out in the community setting. Our pharmacist is in charge of the medications. We don't make changes to medication therapy, but we make sure that our participants understand how taking their medications really affects their overall care, making sure that we don't have non-adherence issues. If there are barriers to access to medication, those are the things that the pharmacist would address, and we're in constant communication with the referring providers to make sure that if there are any gaps in care, if there are any medications that are missing that are required, that we bring this to the attention of the providers and that is addressed. Our peer support coach is there you know, to facilitate the peer support sessions to just make sure that it is a welcoming space to provide uh, the participants feel comfortable sharing and everyone feel respected in that environment. So it's not a really structured program based more so that participants can learn from each other and they're there to make sure that, you know, it's a very respectful space and everyone gets an opportunity to share and get something useful out of those sessions. We do have the lifestyle coach who then facilitates the diabetes prevention sessions and also supports our certified diabetes care and education specialist. Next slide, please. So, a little background 
Um, so Rogi actually started out of FlexCare Pharmacy. The pharmacy was created, you know, a diabetes program to address the needs of its patrons. And over time, due to challenges in space and staff, we made the decision to actually create Sorogi that was going to be solely responsible for the education piece. But the two, both organizations still work hand in hand, and the pharmacy has been a great referral source for Sorogi. A lot of the times we find out that there are changes in therapy or changes in status, or when someone is newly diagnosed, we don't find out until they show up at the pharmacy to actually pick up a prescription. And that's a really great opportunity for the pharmacist to now refer them into the surrogate program for them to get the additional support that they need. The pharmacy also fills 20% uh, of its scripts from long-term care facilities and rehab centers. So when we have transition of care, and patients are being going from long-term facilities or rehab back into their homes, they are going in with a lot of insulin uh, that was being managed perfectly when they were in their rehab setting, but when they're going home, we want to make sure that they're going to be able to safely administer insulin, to safely check their blood sugar at home, that they do understand when to call their doctor or their education specialist for additional support. So when we fill those prescriptions at the pharmacy, the pharmacy then makes sure that there is a follow-up happening 72 hours to checking in and making sure that family members and the uh, patient themselves know that they do have additional support and they can enroll, self-enroll in this program as well. And when the you know participants are in our program, during our sessions with them, we sometimes find out that they're having difficulties accessing medication, and that's when they get sent back to the pharmacy again. We check on formulary, making sure if it's a prior authorization issue, we do handle that and making sure that they have access to the medications that they need. So Sorogi and FlexCare really work well together, um, not just for the referral, but also addressing um, needs that are identified. Now, during COVID-19, we had some unique challenges at Sorogi. We had really prided ourselves that we had an in-person program where, you know, we really value that connection that we've created with our participants. They're able to come in. We're able to provide a face-to-face -face interaction and a lot of opportunities for teach back. We found out that a lot of times we give instructions. People think they know how to do it. But if they don't take the opportunity to show you so you can correct any mistakes, they go home and they're still confused, especially how to check your blood pressure or how to check your blood glucose or even how to administer insulin uh, or other injectables. So it was really a great opportunity um, that we have, and we really value that in-person connection. But with COVID-19 and that being done, there was a lot of fear about how to keep participants engaged um, during a virtual session. We are also worried about the fact that um, other programs also were being uh, discontinued. There were a lot of programs that are closed down. And if we also shut down our program, then we were really limiting access to education and support. And a lot of frustration on our end, um, communicating with healthcare providers, there were offices that were closed, and most of them were working remotely. And with reduction in office staff, we're not able to access blood um, labs the way we used to, communication around retail, 
um, all the things that were important in managing the patient's care were being lost. So these were the challenges that we faced with COVID um, in our program, but we still made the decision that it was better out for us to try to figure out a way to move forward and not shut down the program um, completely because of COVID. So we made the decision that we were going to move everything to a virtual program. Given the challenges that we're already facing in the community, we did not think that shutting down our program was a wise decision. So we had to find a way to move forward. And to do that, we had to adopt telehealth. And we made sure that our diabetes prevention program, the diabetes self-management and support, including all the activities that support those programs were all available to our participants now through a virtual platform. And we talk about activities like um, how to check your blood glucose, that we could do all that through uh, our blood, I'm sorry, our telehealth platform. We were able to do cooking demonstrations, even grocery store tours, we could also do that during, uh, using our virtual platform. In addition to that, we also created our first um, virtual support group for our participants in our diabetes program because there was a lot of concern around, you know, stress. There was a lot around just dealing with the day-to-day -day challenges of having a chronic illness. And this has been a really big success for our program. Having this extra support for these participants has made a huge difference. One of the benefits of actually having uh, moved on the virtual platform is that we were able to also handle the challenges of transportation. When we were meeting in person, a lot of times our participants struggled with transportation. That was the major barrier for coming to classes. And moving into the virtual platform really was very helpful because now they could be home and not have to miss any class at all. So that was really helpful. And we also went further to make sure that uh, participants who did not know that they had uh, benefits such as shared rights, that we were able to let them know. But in terms of COVID, having that telehealth as an option was very helpful, for, especially for those who were already having transportation issues. Education around effective use of uh, devices, that was really great because we had open, you know, situations in the pharmacy or even in our program where participants were provided with blood glucose machines and they go home and we never hear back from them. And, you know, you have canceled appointments and you're never quite sure if the participants you know, knows how to do it well at home and they were doing it accurately. Um, but having that telehealth and being able to have that video option to watch them do it, we at least could guarantee that the participants were doing it correctly and they were checking their blood glucose um, at home. And also we were able to provide blood pressure monitors through um, agreements with our local insurance plans. And that was also important because now the participants also had a blood pressure monitor that could support telehealth. We provided grocery cards to help, you know, with fresh fruits and vegetables. And I previously mentioned the virtual tours were really helpful with the cooking demonstrations as well. In addition to that, we worked really hard with our local insurance plans to make sure that devices that participants need, such as CGMs or blood pressure monitors, that they were able to have access to that. We would walk through prior authorizations as needed for our participants so they have access. And finally, we also 
contracted with a local fitness instructor who was able to provide weekly virtual physical activity sessions. Now, in terms of barriers to our telehealth, the initial one that was very uh, something we had to really work on was technology. A lot of our staff members were not familiar with the telehealth platform, and it was a learning curve. So we had to spend the first few months, you know, making sure that um, everyone was comfortable with the technology that we have adopted, and also to make sure that we were going to be able to change our curriculum so that it could fit on uh, something that we could deliver in a very engaging way um, virtually. So we spent, a, I think, two months or so making those adjustments. In addition to that, too, our participants were not very familiar to, with this technology. So we spent a lot of time creating workflows, you know, guides for them to make sure that before you had an in-person, I'm sorry, not in-person, a one-on-one, I'll visit with either the registered dietitian or the certified diabetes care and education specialist that there was a pre-appointment call where we checked in, make sure they had the right technology, they were comfortable, they knew the link and what time the appointments were. And when we put that in place, it was very helpful and it made sure that we had really good conversations with the participants when they finally joined. So a lot of work had to go in in making sure that not only were staff comfortable with the technology, but participants as well, and they were they had the right um, cell phone or smart devices to be able to connect. We had, one of the challenges too that we found is that not all the participants had the right technology. Not every one of them had a smartphone, and one of the ways we deal with that was that we just would call them over the phone. Uh, we have to meet people where they are. It was either that or there was nothing for them. And we felt like calling them, you know, and a lot of times they just had questions and we were able to address this over the phone. So it was not perfect, but it kept them connected. It still kept them engaged in the program and we could still provide some level of support. Engagement in our programs, one thing we did, we worried about before, you know, during COVID was how were we going to be able to manage that group dynamic, especially when you're on a virtual platform, there's a lot of distraction, background noise. How are we going to do that and still keep it a very uh, productive uh, session? So one thing we did was we made sure that um, we reduced the curriculum uh, to 30-minute sessions. You need to have it as an hour and a half, but we break it down to 30 short minutes practical things that people needed. We included a lot of visuals right, and having a lot of PowerPoint slides, you know, plenty of you know, opportunities for questions and for participants to share their personal experience as well. We found this to be really helpful and really kept them engaged as compared to having them to be really long hour or hour plus sessions. And another barrier that we uh, we discovered in our program, which we did address, uh, was also to create, which I already discussed, that peer support group because there was a lot of demand uh, for a space where people could just come in and share and not feel pressure depending on what they were going through, just listening to each other, knowing they were not alone um, in this journey and that there was support out there in the community um, that they could access virtually. So. At this point, I'm going to bring in Ms. Fontella Young. She 
actually was referred to a program. She self-referred into a program during the COVID-19 pandemic, and we were able to successfully onboard her. And at this point, I'll let her share her experience, what she's uh, gained by being part of our sorority uh, program. Hello, my name is Ms. Young. I got diagnosed with two, type 2 diabetes. I had a doctor that did a conference visit. She did not know how to shoot the pen. I didn't know anyone, anyone to talk to, or anyone that had diabetes. So after we fooled around with the pen for a little while, she didn't know how to use it and was trying to tell me how to use it. Like care pharmacy called me and when they called me, uh, they showed me how to shoot myself. They showed me what was good numbers, what was bad numbers. We had meetings. We had support groups. We had grocery shops, going to grocery stores. And it was really helpful, and I really loved it. And I promoted it in, in, in the medical field where I went to the doctor, and it was real helpful for my community. And... I love everything about this, and I just pray to God that we'll just keep this program. And Miss Young, and just to share a little, I know we are almost out of time. She came in, like I said, really not knowing anything about diabetes, and through this program was able to get the support that she needed. Now, we're talking about lessons learned. I would say for our program, if it's trying to reach, you know, really hard, um, communities that are not engaged in care. I would say for us, lesson we have learned is that it starts with building trust. And we have been in the community for a while, both as from the pharmacy and also now as Sorogi. They need to know that you're here and you're here for them. Once you have that, which is what we'll be able to build through our pharmacy and now through Sorogi, is that they, you leverage that. They come into your pharmacy always have, you know, participants or patients that come in more frequently than they see their primary care provider. So having that great relationship with our community pharmacy, people are able to now easily come into the program believing that it's there, they're willing to listen, and they're willing to participate. Um, also, when we have them in our program, we want to make sure we address their immediate needs. You have to meet people where they are and address what is of most concern to them. When we do that, we find that people are much more receptive to hear more and to do more to improve their overall health. Another lesson we learned with this is that you have to make sure that your team have the right tools and resources to be able to do the work. And it's that to reevaluating your workflow, making sure that you have the right technology available for them to do their work by telehealth. We also make sure that we collaborate uh, with other programs also, because our program does not address every need, such as mental health is something that our program still struggles with. We are looking into partnering with other organizations in the community where we can refer our participants out and they get that extra support beyond the peer support group. And of course, I mentioned, you have continuing education for the staff, making sure that they are up to date with treatment guidelines, um, the new research and making sure that we're providing services in a way that is very respectful of the community and the things that are important to them. 
One more thing we've learned again with teleheritage is that we're able to go beyond our Ward 7 and 8 um, residents. We're now able to see participants now in all the eight wards in D.C. and also seeing participants from Maryland as well. This technology has been really helpful and, you know, helping us to really expand our programs beyond um, Ward 7 and 8. And we do believe that there is a role that technology plays in diabetes self-management um, and can be very, very beneficial. So we are looking also at how do we expand our peer support goal so we don't just have females like we have right now and opening it up as well so we have maybe a senior virtual support group or, you know, one for, you know, children or high schooler or, you know, people in college having different platforms where people can actually come in, feel comfortable, learn from each other, and improve their overall health. We truly believe that if you're going to do um, telehealth, um, diabetes self-management, um, education support program, that way, team-based approach is still the best way to go. Going forward for Sorogi, we are going to continue with um, telehealth, but it's going to be more of a hybrid model now because we did recognize that, you know, this was great. It worked during uh, the pandemic, but we did lose some participants as well who we could, you know, did not have the right technology and we could not um, provide what was needed for them to be able to join the classes online. So we believe that a hybrid model is the best way to move forward. And also we are going to be sharing the findings from our program with the uh, important stakeholders in the community like our DC Department of Health and also the managed care organization so that this, uh, what we find out during COVID can be used to improve care for the residents of DC. And I mentioned earlier we're looking at partnering with behavioral health specially so we can easily refer, not just refer, but also get feedback and follow up as to how the participants are doing and how we can continue to support them in our programs as well. We're looking at partnerships with our libraries and our rec centers um, as avenues where we can continue to provide in-person um, education and support when everything opens up again, and also looking at piloting an in-person peer support group. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care. You can also find resources for integrated care on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our recent products and technical assistance.